Hey everybody, this is Charles Hayne. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of October 22nd, 2021. I'm here with filmmaker and writer Todd Blankenship. Hey, how's it going everybody? And filmmaker and writer Kath Tolentino. Hello. This week, the return of Good Deal, Bad Deal, the new contract from IATSE. Uh, in continuing, will there be a strike news? We're going to be following that up with a new MacBook Pro. And then we're going to be wrapping it all up with hardware you should be using on your live stream jobs because we're all doing them. It's part of our life now. So we should be conscious of what's going on there. All right. So that is this week on the No Film School podcast. Our first subject this week, good deal or bad deal, the terms that IATSE and AMTTB settled on. So if you don't know what we're talking about, a brief recap, IATSE is the biggest motion picture union. There's like funny historic reasons why it is the biggest union that we'll get to here in a little bit, but it's the biggest of the unions and they've never gone on strike and they're threatening to go on strike. And just as an aside here, I did an episode of my podcast, Distorted by Glamour, all about the WGA's history of strikes because the WGA goes on strike all the time and that's how they get stuff. So check that out if you're into this subject. But IATSE is what we're talking about today, and they had a strike authorization vote, and the strike was supposed to start Monday, October 18th, and then Saturday night, like, you know, late at night, a deal was reached between the AMPTP and IATSE that guarantees 10 hours of turnaround, a 54-hour weekend, and higher meal penalties so that people will skip meals less often, and an increase in um, the pay, a living wage for the lowest ranked members and a 3% yearly increase for everybody else. And people are very, opinions are high on this one about whether or not, because the the way this works is reps from IATSE and AMPTP get together and negotiate it. And then the membership has to vote to approve it. And, you know, everyone's own little corner, you know, the way the internet works is everybody only talks to the people they talk to. So, it can be self-reinforcing. But I tell you what, my my corner of the internet is not excited about these terms. I don't know about the corners of the internet where you guys have been hanging out. I think the general yeah, they're, thought they're was... Great. They're not great. Yeah. Guys, we had a 98% strike authorization. We've got some leverage here. We can go further. And, and it's interesting because one of the things I keep seeing over and over is that, like, this is great considering what they were, what IATSE was asking for at the beginning of the negotiations when the MBA, the minimum basic agreement, started to expire a few months ago. But in the last few months, the activism, especially online, especially around IA stories and a bunch of other places, like IATSE's gotten way more excited about what they want. Like, I think a lot of people would really like an eight-hour workday and, you know, what would a what would a reasonable weekend be? 62-hour weekends, right? A 54-hour a weekend means that two days and six hours after you wrap, you can be called back. So yeah, if you're I'm wrapped out at midnight Friday, right. yeah, if you're wrapped out midnight on Friday, you can be back at 6 a.m. Monday. And it's like, well, that seems or lame. Or if you're wrapped out 8 p.m. Friday, you can be back at 2 a.m. on Monday. Well, and, and the the daily arrest periods of 10 hours, like, what is that? I, I mean, like, so, okay, so, like, someone someone who's better at math than me, figure that out. Like, that, that means, like, you, you could potentially wrap at, like, midnight and have to be back there the next morning. At 10 a.m. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. And that happens, you know, I've had eight-hour turnarounds on jobs where we were out at midnight 
and we had to be back at 8 a.m. And, you know, by the time, you know, official rap is called, it might still be 10 minutes until you've gotten to your car and then another half an hour to an hour drive home. Or in New York, you're on the subway and then you're getting home at one. You're not asleep till two. You're up at six to be out the door at seven to be back at eight. You're getting four hours of sleep on a 10 10 hour turn. The turnaround thing is interesting because I actually like, you know, as somebody recently pointed out, like Sweden shoots eight hour days and has a minimum 10 hour turn. And it's like, well, if I just did an eight hour day, I don't mind a 10 hour turn. If for whatever reason you had to call me from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then you want me back at 6 a.m. the next day. But I only worked eight hours the day before. That's not as bad. Like, I would like 12-hour turn. And actually, actors have always gotten 12-hour turn. Your SAG actors get 12-hour turn. I think a 12-hour turn would be great. I would way rather focus the energy on, like, can we just have eight-hour days like every other industry? Like everyone else ever? Can we just work eights, please? This is crazy. So my question is, like, the... The terms that they agreed upon, you said they're they're not that much different from the minimum basic agreement, or maybe are the terms that were in the minimum basic agreement. Is that right? Like, did they deviate in a major way? Like, no, it's they- not that they are the original MBA. They're an improvement on last on the last MBA. It is this is more or less what IATSE was going for at the beginning of the negotiation, and I think what happened is as the negotiation started the membership and the greater film community got very passionate where they were like, no, wait a minute, guys, like this is our opportunity. And then when there was a 98% strike vote, I think people, there was a hope that this was going to be used to push further in the negotiation than the original starting position. If that makes sense. Yeah. It seems to me like kind of a problem of remote work. Like how does, how do the IATSE leaders become totally tuned in with what the broader community is wanting. Like when they voted, do you know if they were able to weigh in on the terms and their opinions on those terms? Or was it just a pure like, yes, I would strike. No, I would not. Um, Oh, it was a yes or no strike authorization. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, yeah, I would definitely love to see them pushing more. But at the same time, if the whole group didn't come to a sort of like unanimous or close to unanimous consensus on the kinds of terms that they would have wanted or what the sort of minimum baseline would be other than what was previously discussed. I feel like it's hard to make, I don't know. I've never been in a room. So they, they still haven't defined how long a workday can be. Like that's uh, still the, up the in current the air. terms. Well, here's the problem. It's not like technically the workday has been eight hours forever. Like that's when overtime starts. The problem is, is all of the studios have just long accepted budgeting for overtime, right? Like your overtime starts at eight hours, your overtime, and there's a meal penalty if you skip meals. The problem is, is overtime has been low enough that what ends up happening is if you're like, okay, my star is costing me $10 million a week. So if I can save a week on my star by just working 19 hour days and eating the overtime bill, the studios are willing to do it. The same with meal penalties. Like this deal increases the meal penalty because, you know, traditionally, if you had to skip a meal or if your meal was late, you had to do, you got paid a meal penalty. And and it was like really low. It was like under a hundred bucks, which like, it, it might've been under 50 bucks. It's like not huge. And so basically what happened a couple of years ago is some productions just started budgeting like in their math, in their spreadsheet for how much we're paying everybody, it's like, okay, well, I don't think we're going to do lunches on this show. So everybody gets the meal penalty bonus. And it's like, 
No, 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 no. The point isn't wild. Well, it's that same thing. You know, it's like I only recently learned that in, I think it's either Sweden or Norway, your speeding ticket is pegged to your income because otherwise speeding is just something rich people can pay to do. Like if you have enough money, 150 bucks is nothing. You just speed and you pay the ticket. So it should scale to income. And I think it made the news because there was like a $180,000 speeding ticket or something for someone who's very rich. And that's how you penalize it. And the, the situation we're in right now with a lot of this stuff like meal penalties is it's designed to be punitive. The goal isn't, oh, I get a little, I get a little reward for skipping lunch. The goal is I do not want to skip lunch. I need my break and to eat. And we charge you something to do that. So the one or two times a year where you have to do it, you can pay to do it. But the meal penalty is so low right now that productions are like, okay, we'll eat the meal penalty. And I I think we're in a similar situation with overtime. Like, I think we should be fighting. Like, I don't think we'll ever successfully get to like, no one ever shoots beyond an eight hour day ever. Because like, there are just times where you're going to need to shoot 10 or 12 for whatever reason. But I think what we should be fighting for is just ridiculous overtime numbers. Like, it should go at eight hours. It should go straight to triple time. Like, why not? Like, why shouldn't we be fighting for, sure, if you need to go overtime, here's how you do it. But for the most part, your habit should be to schedule for eight-hour days so that you avoid these egregious overtime charges. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think there's like, like I'll speak for myself. There are definitely times where I would, I would rather not deal with like resetting everything up again or whatever it might be and, and just stay a little bit longer than be like really, really finicky about going over time. But yeah, I think it's like, I don't know, there has to be some sort of requirement. There has to be some sort of like way of making sure that everyone there is comfortable with being there and there's no judgment for, you know, not being comfortable. Like people have lives to go home and get to and stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Easier said than done though, right? Because I feel oh, like sure. everyone on a film set is like testing, so used to testing their mental and physical and emotional limits comfortable is such a relative term you know yeah like um the guy who runs i stories just posted today shared a little info about who he is he's a 27 year old electrician who worked for a full year straight i guess no days off and he said that it totally wrecked him but so many of us have been there and in that time when you're working those kinds of hours and that number of days in a row you're like i could probably keep going i don't know (laughs) and then you totally burn out and you're like F this, F this industry. I'm starting an Instagram account to take the whole thing down. (laughs) Which was so beautiful and has been really powerful. I also think an important thing to remember is no negotiation is ever done until it's done. And I think that there's like this human need or human instinct or like genuine good people are like, all right, well, I started negotiating asking for 10,000. And so now I've gotten them to agree to 10,000. So I should just stop there. And it's like, I tell you what, when I've been on the other side of the table with some really aggressive negotiators, like terms change all the time, like constantly, like when they realize they get what they want, can, they can get what they want. They will go further and they're, they, and feel no shame about it. And like, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) No, like so dumb. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, you're a good human. That's all it means is you're a good person. And like, you know, negotiations aren't about winning the good human prize. They're about getting what you want for your members. You know, this is why we have lawyers, right? Like I've been in meetings. 
I've been on the call watching my lawyer go gorilla on someone, and it's like one of the most deeply satisfying things in the world. Because you're like, oh, yeah, you're a lawyer, so you've trained yourself to not feel feelings, and you'll just keep going. <laughs> and like, you know, if the IATSE negotiators go back to the membership, and the membership votes no on this deal, well, that's permission for IATSE to go back to MTP and be like, actually, no, we need more. I know you agreed to a lot of our original asks, but we actually need more. We have discovered that you're willing to agree to this, and we've discovered that we're that our membership is really passionate about this, and we have the leverage to keep going and get more, and we want more, please. So and you think there I think could that, still be a way for them to push back even now? I think I don't know. I don't know IATSE leadership well enough to know, but I certainly have seen in my life in other situations the ability to keep negotiating even when you thought there was an agreement. I've I've definitely. I mean, I'll just say real estate, like, you know, I have a good buddy in real estate, so I use a lot of real estate examples because we talk about his deals. The number of times he's like had a deal that was agreed on. And then one person was like, actually, but the house doesn't come with any of the lighting fixtures. I'm taking them all. And like, you know, it just reopened. You just, you know, you think you've agreed on something, you've entered a contract and then you keep changing the terms. That is a thing that happens. That is part of like my buddy's life. And it makes him miserable, but he's like, this is also part of deals. And I think that, you know, if the vote fails, like they have to take the deal to the membership and the membership has to vote on it. And if membership, if the feeling I see on a IA stories, which has, I think a hundred thousand followers and is pretty universally people like the way this industry runs sucks and we want it to be better because we want to make these movies desperately, but we also want to leave after eight hours and do other stuff. If membership votes not to approve the deal, then IATSE has a strong lever to go back and be like, no, my membership still wants to strike. So guys, you need to give us more. And I don't know if the membership, I don't know if the leadership wants to do that, but I do know, and, and we have to give them time to like roll out all of the details. But I, my feeling is that the membership that voted 98% to strike voted 98 to strike because they want actual real change. And the deal that has come does not necessarily feel like enough of a change in the right direction is my reading on the room. So like, say they, you know, do agree to all this and and these these you know not less than satisfactory terms become the way what is the i don't know likelihood and or like process of getting like say say like i i don't know like how realistic is it for them to be like uh let's let's uh let's go back to the drawing board again let's go through this all again we're like here we're, let's do a whole new vote like everyone's unhappy so let's let's try again like is that a really big lengthy process to do it all over again like or you know like is it a thing where if if this this terms get like get spiked through like is it going to be stuck that way for a while i guess is kind of what i'm trying to ask so i have i've like three different answers for you one is like let's talk about scenarios one is the membership votes to approve the terms and we sign a three-year basic agreement because that's usually the term on these and then the next three years is activism and organizing within IATSE membership to push even harder for better terms next time. That's one scenario, right? Like people are not as excited about the terms as they wanted to be, but they want to keep working and they want to keep doing their due and, the, and they vote to support it. And that's entirely possible. You know, one thing I learned a lot when I just did this Distorted by Glamour episode about WGA. And one thing that was really fascinating to me is the number of times they almost strike and then they didn't. But then what came out of that was like this real invigorated base that would then like run new board members. 
And, uh, you know, with the WGA strike of 2008, it was really driven by this group, Writers United, headed by Patrick Verone, that, like, got themselves elected because, you know, leadership of a union is an elected position, got themselves elected head of the board of WGA West because they were like, no, 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 guys, we have to fight for these things. And then they went and fought for the things that, like, they ran on, and that ended up leading to a strike. And interestingly, in the middle of the strike, they were actually, they came back with an agreement with the MPTP on DVD residuals that the membership did not like. And the membership was like, no, 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 you actually have to fight harder on this one. And Patrick Verone, who was president of WGA West at the time, talks in interviews about like, that was one where I was ready to cut a deal and I thought we'd gotten a good deal. And the membership was like, nope, you can go more. You can go further. This is not enough. And Patrick Verone talks about it in like a really friendly, like, like reading this interview with him. I was like, oh, you weren't insulted. You were like, okay. I'm trying to cut the best deal, but I need to take your temperature. And I took your temperature and y'all want more. And I'm glad you told me. And the, the 2008 strike is a really interesting, fascinating thing. Um, so like this is possible. So it is possible that the, even though people aren't super psyched, they'll vote for it because there are some improvements and we don't know what living wage for the lowest paid workers means, but living wage would be huge if it really is a big bump for some of the people lower on the ladder, that would be great. There's a possibility that they vote not to approve the deal, in which case, as far as I can tell, the strike authorization holds. And so IOTC leadership will go back to the MTPTP and be like, hey, guys, we didn't approve this deal. My membership doesn't like this deal. We need to fight further. And AMTP leadership will still have that strike authorization vote in their pocket and could could call a vote strike whenever they want. So that's possible. And those are sort of the two likely outcomes of the approval vote. We need a lot more information on the deal. Right. We need to actually see what this living wage looks like. Like, honestly, I suspect if the living wage bump is good enough for the people at the bottom of the totem pole, that might create a lot of goodwill and it might squeak through. But if it's not, then yeah, I mean, it could not pass. And if it could not pass, then the IOTC leadership is going to be back negotiating with the PTP and everybody on that in that room is going to say, oh, like this deal needs to actually be really good or a strike is still very, very possible. Cool. That's all. Yeah, there was a third scenario. Oh, the third scenario I totally forgot about. Unlikely, but possible. So I'm going to throw it out there. Highly unlikely. Does not seem likely to happen. But we forget that IATSE has not always been the single motion picture union. There used to be a union in the 40s and 50s called the CSU that was like the friendly rival of the IATSE. And like they struck all the time. On the East Coast, there used to be something called NABET. Uh, and a lot of movies would be like Nabet instead of being IATSE movies. And from what I can tell, it would largely depend upon once you hired your DP, what union the DP preferred, because like the whole crew would sort of go that direction. And so there used to be a lot more unions. So it's possible that like people could try and do another union. It seems unlikely, but who knows? There's also this thing called a wildcat strike. So a wildcat strike is when a group of workers decide to strike without authorization of union leadership. Highly unlikely does not seem likely in this scenario. I'm a big fan of solidarity. I'm a big fan of like, let us work within the systems we have. Like, if we're not satisfied with what IOTC leadership is getting, you can always vote the next time board elections are up. You know, the WGA has really proven that the elections for the board really matter. And, you know, the board ends up hiring the executive director, and that really matters. There was this crazy time in the WGA history where they hired an ex-CBS executive to like be the executive director in the hope that like 
that person would know the ins and outs of the studios and would be able to negotiate. But it turned out that they were just like friends with all the studio bosses and basically got them nothing for five years. Yeah, that seems oh, like wow. such a ridiculous choice. Yeah, after that, the new Writers United immediately got rid of that executive director and hired a union organizer executive director, which is <laughs> how you do it. So I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of pot. I don't think there's going to be a split in unions, and I certainly don't think there's going to be wildcat strikes because that doesn't seem like something that makes sense for this circumstance. But I think whatever happens now, we have a much more engaged membership. I think that the people I know in IATSE are much more conscious of the power IATSE has and their engagement with it and what it can do. And one of the reasons why I'm doing this Distorted by Glamour podcast is to really talk about labor and film and what has been achieved. And I, so I think whether or not they vote to authorize this contract, we're going to keep seeing more pushing for better working conditions. If they don't, if they, if they don't authorize this contract, it's entirely possible we could still be looking at a strike. Well, we'll, we'll see. If nothing else, like it, it is really cool to like have IATI all over the news and stuff too. Like my non-film friends have been talking about this a lot. So it, I, that that sort of awareness is like definitely a, a positive aspect. Like I, I really wish you know when it, there, there's been some similar sort of you know hints of uprising in the VFX community. I kind of I kind of wish there was a little more a little more coverage like on the level of this as there was with that. You know, just because VFX people just get treated like you know dog crap all the time. So well, and have been specific carveouts in previous. Strikes. So, you know, not that animation and VFX are exactly the same thing, but there's a lot of over, overlap between like people who work in animation houses and people who work in VFX houses. And when you look at the 2008 WGA strike, the two things the WGA gave up in their negotiations in their fight for streaming residuals were organizing reality and animation houses. And like that would have, you know, I understand you don't win everything, but like, man, if the writers on those animated shows were union that would eventually make it easier to make an argument that all of the artists should be represented as well. And yeah, I mean, I VFX needs to get unionized. Like that is yeah, the next really wave does. of organizing because those hours are painful. And then guys, let's go for video games next. That's yeah. a lot of workers who, you know, cause here's the thing. These are all industries where we love what we do. This is so much fun. This job. We just want to do it for eight hours a day and go home. <laughs> like, yeah, because e- even things that you love, even like if you're working your dream job, it's still at some point like, you know, you have to like go be a person. <laughs> you can't, you can't just only be that thing. You have, you know, like there's just stuff that happens. Like you got to get your car registration. You know, it's like I've, I've had, there's been like I've multiple times had my car registration out for like six months over over the due date just because I was working too much, you know? And it's like, that's not that's not a way to exist. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. The entire decade of my 20s, far older than I should have, I only saw the dentist and the doctor in the week between Christmas and New Year's because I'd go visit <laughs> my parents. And so I'd keep seeing the dentist and the doctor that week because that was really the only time I could be reasonably sure. So I was like 32 and still like, oh, I guess I'll just go to the dentist while I'm home for Christmas. Because that was it. That was the move. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Because like in production, how in the world are you supposed to like make an appointment for anything? 
it would be nice to like you know see concerts, go bowling with friends, see your no, kids. For me, it's been a really this is this this year. So this is the first year that my daughter's in elementary school. She's in kindergarten, and it's been this whole thing. Like even even us trying to find a time to do this podcast, it's like I'm like, well, there's this there's this little twenty minute chunk every day that I've got to walk over and pick up my daughter, and if I can't do that. I, there's like, I have to have like at least a week and a half advance notice so that I can make sure that a grandparent can go get her. You know, it's like little things like that, that now I'm like, Oh, like there's like just little things where I used to just be able to like hop in the car and go drive wherever, go do a shoot last second notice, you know, but it's like, you know, you, you just have, like I said, you have to, you have to be a person still. And, and it's, I don't know, it feels pretty hard in this industry at times to achieve that and also keep doing the thing that you love. Oh, yeah. When I first started as a PA, I was shocked by the number of older folks that I worked with who had already been divorced. Just like everyone was divorced um, who had been in the industry for like over 10 or 15 years. Just uh, after a certain point, it's like, it's unsustainable, you know? Yeah. But yeah. we would like to like be good partners and be good parents like that's important to all of us and we'd like to do it and be at work like a normal amount of time. Yeah. So I, I think I'm optimistic. I think what comes out of these moments is even if this contract isn't the contract we all dreamed of, and maybe it still could be like, we don't know what's going to happen, but right now it seems like there's some disappointment and some hope that we're going to push further even if there's not immediate pushing further, I think that the next board elections at IATSE are going to be fascinating, the same way board elections at WGA are always fascinating. And I think we're going to see some results from it that are going to be really interesting. So yeah, I am looking forward to seeing how, how it all shakes out. Your career in virtual production starts here and now. Earn your spot on tomorrow's set with Synapse Virtual Production in L.A., by enrolling in RIT's immersive 10-day course this June. An exclusive experience in LA, you'll get the foundation you need to grow your career in a virtual production studio, the kind behind the groundbreaking effects seen in Disney's The Mandalorian and Marvel's Avenger films. Limited seats are available. Learn more and enroll today at vpritcertified.education. That's vp.ritcertified.education. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Cool. All right, pivoting to something that feels way less life and death. Apple has released their new MacBook Pros. It just feels like, I mean, you know, we do a lot of awkward transitions, but that one just feels like, you know, <laughs> everybody is divorced in this industry so hard, but there's a new computer. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just like feeling excited about a new computer at all these days is just kind of a weird thing at times. I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot of really bad stuff going on, but. Man, I that new computer looks dope. <laughs> it's just like a thing. I mean, so here's how I'm going to defend it to myself. There are many, many times in my life where I was the time I or someone else got to leave the office was dictated by a render. You were clicking render, you were waiting on something to render, 
And if that render was faster, you were making it to dinner with friends or that mm -hmm. date or school pickup faster. So this is how I defend talking about the new MacBook Pro is that that actually does matter in terms of work-life balance, right? And it's, you know, it's getting better and better. I always tell this story to my students. I did a, in the year 2000, I did a feature film in standard def video. Like we shot film, but we transferred to standard def video. And my final render for that film took a week. I left on vacation and came back. And it had two days left when I got back. And that was just a, you know, like a, like a very basic color grade in standard definition, which is crazy to think about 21 years later. So <laughs> But the, there are, and it often, like those renders often fall on the bottom person on the totem pole to make sure that render is making its way out the door and happening. So Apple's released their new MacBook Pros. The MacBook Pro, for a lot of reasons, is sort of the default computer for filmmakers. It is powerful enough to handle some crazy video tasks, but it's also portable as you bounce around to various places you're going to set, you're going to post. There are a lot of filmmakers who build Mac Pro towers, but that tends to be people who do a lot of post or VFX or color grading. But honestly, like for a bunch of years, I was doing color grading on 4K features on a, on a MacBook Pro. And so the MacBook Pro is the, the computer I think most filmmakers care about the most. And so a new one coming out is news. And this one is particularly news because Apple oh, has done so nice. something that Apple never does, which yeah, is they, they've given us everything back. Yeah, they so Apple, and they went, whoops. <laughs> Apple never does this. Apple is famous for like, we'll get rid of the headphone jack. And admittedly, they were totally right. I don't miss the headphone jack at all on my phone. But like, people were annoyed. People Wait, were like, you can't. You can't use headphones and charge it at the same time. It's so obnoxious. I, well, yeah, but everybody just switched to AirPods. I didn't. I'm not going to do I, that. I, oh. I, I, really I, did. I don't have AirPods, but I just jack. have. I have like Bluetooth headphones or whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more on Kath's side with this one. Like I... If nothing else, the thing where you can't charge and listen at the same time always drove me crazy. And that little tiny, that tiny little dongle, that little piece of crap, tiny little dongle. I uh, think I went, I think I've gone through 20 of those. So easy to lose. Yeah. It's really so they, they so weirdly, I hung on to an iPhone 6S for like four extra years because it was the last one that still had the, the headphones plug. And I was like, I'm never giving up headphones. Headphones are the best. Never giving them up. I've got my like Sony MDR 7502s like... You know, I love listening to it. And then, and I also was like anti-Bluetooth because I was like, I don't want a brain tumor from Bluetooth. And then weirdly, I had a kid. And as soon as I'd reproduced, something genetically in me shifted. And I was like, ah, I guess I really don't care if I get a brain tumor. <laughs> like, I have successfully reproduced. And it probably won't kill me soon enough that she would, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then I got my AirPods and AirPods rule. And I haven't thought about it since. <laughs> Anyway, I hope I don't get a brain tumor. And from what I've read, the brain tumor Bluetooth headphone connection is not very strong. And in fact, some scientists say because Bluetooth is such a weaker signal than your phone, you're better off using Bluetooth headphones to keep your phone away from your head than you are to use to hold your phone against your head. Because oh, the phone, fantastic. obviously, the phone has a much stronger antenna. And, you know, the science is still out on that. And AirPods are very convenient, especially when you're cycling. You never catch your thumb on the cord. Anyway, Apple doesn't walk stuff back. Apple moves to the future. And in 2016, they moved to the future and they got rid of some of my favorite parts of the MacBook Pro. They got rid of MagSafe charging. They got rid of a native HDMI port. They got rid of the SDR, SD card slot. And in 2021, they brought it all back. 
There's a brand new MacBook Pro you can buy and it has an SD card slot built in. So you don't need an, ad- an adapter to download footage. There's an HDMI port. So if you're like using it to teach or, or present or anything, you can just plug it right into HDMI. There is a MagSafe charger. So if you trip on it, it just automatically pulls out without damaging your computer or sending your computer f- flying. And there's three Thunderbolt 3 p- ports, which could also be used for charging if you want. Or for hard drive storage, which is what matters for filmmakers. Beyond that, the hardware itself is, they got rid of the touch bar because the touch bar was lame. And it's like back to physical function keys, which is so great because filmmakers use function keys all the time as shortcuts in Photoshop and Premiere and, and Resolve. And it's so nice to not have to look down to find them. And the keyboard is great. And, you know, they fixed the annoyances in the keyboard that even had Taiko Atiti talking about it at the Oscars. When he, I think he was on the Oscars red carpet, and he was like, "Apple, please fix the keyboard. I hate it." Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> She's like, "Yay, thank you." <laughs> Although, has he is the internet now anti Taika because of divorce? The way the internet now hates John Mulaney because of divorce. That's why I they feel like John I can't Mulaney? keep up. I had well, I knew about the John Mulaney thing, but I, I didn't know. I don't. Please, no. I don't know. Please. I'm, I'm, I'm I, just asking. I, I don't know if the internet hates Taika now. I am still Team Taika. People. I still love what we do in Shadows. But sometimes the internet, they get ahead of me. And, and they, they they decide they don't like people. Yeah. Um, well, I, I whatever you're talking about, I'm not familiar with. But it would it would would that would bum me out if, if I can't like yeah. Taika anymore. <laughs> that would really bum me out. I mean, I think out. we can still enjoy John Mulaney. I just think TikTok has chosen us. I just saw a headline. Jezebel is my is my like go-to fun site. And the, the headline was just TikTok has chosen a side and it's not John Mulaney. So apparently TikTok is anti-John Mulaney. I don't actually know. Who I knows just found out last drama. week that Army Hammer is a cannibal. Did not know. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, that's a big one. yeah, that was a big one. I somehow I'm impressed. It. I'm impressed you avoided that one. <laughs> I have no idea. I really, no, I am. I wish I, I wish I didn't know that. I yeah. wish I'd never heard to hear any of that. So, so well done. So anyway, back to the Apple point. The hardware inside the machine is Apple's new Apple Silicon architecture, which is based on ARM, ARM, which was originally designed as like a mobile architecture, but they're beefing it up to be powerful enough to run pro apps. So, you know, in their demos on stage, they're running like seven streams of 8K Apple ProRes 444 in a split screen at the same time, and it plays with no no lag. And you're like, well, that's crazy to do that in a laptop. And then in the demo, they're like, and it's not even plugged in. And the reason why that matters is the old Apple MacBook Pros throttled their performance down if you unplugged them because well, they all, wanted to... Almost all like high-end professional, like graphics-intensive laptops uh, have the throttling thing, especially the PC ones, yeah. So the fact that Apple's like, hey guys, we built a laptop and it has 21 hours of battery life and it runs full bore on battery. Although, frankly, if it's running seven or eight streams of 8K ProRes 444 video, it's probably not going to have 21 hours of battery. I think that 21 hours of battery is probably like, well, watching one stream of video. But still, the fact that you can do that on battery is mind-blowing. I would still probably recommend plugging it in when you get to set. Like if you're going to do on-set downloads, you probably are safer and happier with it plugged in for safety. But it's nuts how powerful these machines are. You know, the other thing I always like to remember with this is like I launched a business off uh, uh, a Mac. Like I built a color grading business and a production company and and all of those things off of the power that I we all of a sudden had that five years earlier we didn't have. And I feel like this is another one of those waves where I'm like, oh, a bunch of cool stuff is going to get made. 
by people at home on their laptop and businesses are going to get launched because of how much power is available at such an affordable cost. Yeah, this is this is definitely the most I've been like, you know, I I, I also have always worked off MacBook Pros. I, I also kind of launched my career with a Mac Pro tower back in the day. And, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been on PC, but it, I I have not felt this excited about like watching an Apple keynote until until this like it's going back to what you're talking about before like how you know these things like rendering and the quality of life improvements like in tangible ways because of being able to have better technology and all that sort of stuff my first thought what when they were going through you know they kind of they wouldn't say which which uh, graphics card they were comparing it to but i'm i'm assuming it was like the radeon 6000 or the um 3080s but the first thing i thought of was like oh i'll be able to do like renders like I'll be able to do my VFX work like on the couch, like sitting next to my family, like while they're like watching, you know, Coco Melon or whatever. Like I'll be able to like hang out and kind of always be like sort of learning and like playing with, you know, Blender or Cinema 4D or whatever. And I won't be hamstrung by, you know, lack of performance, which, you know, like that was just exciting. I'm just like, okay, well, I'll be able to go to the coffee shop and like do a render. And I know like, there are laptops that are currently capable of doing all that, but not, not like this, you know. And it's it it's exciting to be able to confidently step back into the Mac world. I think there's a lot of aspects of this release that I was pretty stoked about. Like as they were going through all the specs and everything, my first thought was like, okay, this is about to be like 12, 12 grand or something. Like this is going to be like this is going to be like very cost prohibitive for me. And then they announced like the base model price, and I was like, oh. I mean, it's not low, but it's it's not like a slap in the face for what it's capable of doing. It's it's pretty reasonable. And so to me, it's like, this is the most I've felt like from Apple, this is a slam dunk in a long time. Like, I was just like, okay, everyone's going to buy these. Like, these are going to be everywhere. And I mean, I, I will say I, I have already pre-ordered mine. So I'm, I'm very excited to have that just to, just to be able to kind of go wherever and like, do the stuff that I do on my big giant PC tower. And from the looks of things, it'll even that'll be quite a bit faster. Cause yeah, like you, I mean, I, I for a long time didn't even own a tower. For a long time, I was doing, you know, all my color grading, all my editing, all my even Cinema 4D at the time, all on a MacBook Pro. And, and there's just something about those machines. I don't know what it is. They just, they just seem really solid. Like when I'm using them, all of my software feels a lot more stable on them, you know, and make, make of that what you will. But I, I'm just really excited to have it back. Yeah. One of my students yesterday asked me, he was like, I know you don't know PC that well, but I have a hard drive on my PC and it keeps ejecting randomly. Do you have any ideas? And I was like, the only thing I know about that is how many memes I see about how drives randomly eject on PC. Yeah. And that is, like, that, that is definitely like, literally that happens to me. Like, like, I think during this podcast, my microphone ejected for a second. Like it happens. That's and a it's nightmare. like, well, yeah, it's when awful. it's like, I don't, I don't run into that ever with a Mac. And like, you know, I, I hate to say what I'm about to say, but the reality of the situation is also like, first off, I totally agree on pricing. I feel like the pricing is very reasonable. I saw one headline that's like the most pumped up one is $6,000. And I'm like, yeah, but the most pumped up one has an eight terabyte internal SSD. You do not need an eight terabyte internal SSD. You can get a two terabyte external SSD for 400 bucks. That's where you keep your media. 
And, you know, you need, you know, one terabyte or two terabytes of internal storage and everything maxed out is fine. And that's like $3,800. And yes, it's a lot. But if you're a filmmaker and you're making your living on this, it's actually really not that bad for a tool you make a living with. And the other exciting thing for me is that, like, all my clients going to buy it. And the truth is, Apple has put more work into making an accurate and repeatable speaker and monitor setup that, like, is actually getting to the point where I don't mind if clients evaluate what the picture looks like on it. And, like, I can't believe I'm saying that, right? Because, like, you know, for a 15 years now, I've been driven nuts by like, I have a $20,000 color grading monitor and I make it look perfect on that. And then I like send it to somebody and they watch it on like their Microsoft Surface at the beach using (laughs) VLC player and it looks insane. And they're like, why is it so orange? And I'm like, I don't know. It's not orange on my monitor. But, you know, they're calling this an XDR monitor, which is also their branding for their $6,000 monitor with the $5,000 stand, which like deserves mockery the six the five thousand dollar stand is still ridiculous or was it a thousand whatever the thousand dollar stand is still ridiculous you can buy a mac mini for a thousand bucks but you know they're putting a lot of work into the color accuracy of that monitor and from what i have seen it looks really like pleasantly accurate and you know all i want my dream is that i'll be able to sit in a room with this mac pro and my twenty thousand dollar color grading monitor and a client will be able to look back and forth and they'll look close enough, the client won't ask, hey, can you make it look like it looks on your computer? Because that drives me insane. And it's it's they are putting the effort into that. They're also putting the effort into the speakers and the microphone. I mean, none of us should ever just use the microphone on our computer. But in a pinch, you can actually record really nice sounding things with it. It's rare you get everything you wanted. And like, there's not a thing where I'm like, oh, I wish it was X. It's like, oh, yeah, I agree with all of your decisions here, Apple. It's kind of crazy great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And then our last subject this week, Kath, you have sort of an Ask No Film School from you. Yeah. So as I've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, in my day job, I'm a producer at an ad agency. Pre-COVID, that would look like, you know, traveling around for live shoots and actually being on set. Of course, in the past year, it's been all this like remote record and live stream work. And I'm constantly getting asked to like choose the types of cameras and microphones that we want to get both good quality and also like, you know, in the case of a live stream, making sure that it doesn't overload the system with data and end up um, choppy. So I am really bad with technical stuff, (laughs) like not a gearhead at all. And so I would love your thoughts, Charles, on like what cameras, microphones 
to use for a solid remote recording setup and live stream setup. And is this something that you're going to like ship to someone in a box or is someone technical going to be there to set it up? Oftentimes we will ship to people in boxes. Yeah. And then walk them through a setup on the day of. Yeah, that that makes sense. So the issue you're having, which is an issue I think most people are having right now, to be honest, is that most modern cameras, you can just plug right into your computer, right? We ran a dozen of these articles last summer as different software vendors came out with like, you can now turn your Canon into a webcam. You can now turn your Fuji into a webcam. You can now turn your whatever. It was like every company was like, oh, I need to do this. There's a pandemic. The problem with that is that when you are streaming on Zoom, your computer is using a lot of its graphics processing power to do that, right? It's got to process the various video streams that are coming in from the people you're streaming to. It's got to take whatever your stream is to compress it out. And that is very processor intensive, especially graphics processing power. And most people, like you should definitely never try and do that on a MacBook Air, but even on like the older MacBook Pros, it's kind of a stress case. Now, I'm going to be testing this really soon on the new MacBook Pro because I'm very curious, like it's supposed to be a graphics monster, and I'm curious if it's going to handle better. But what happens a lot of the time when you do a setup like that is the image just falls apart and looks real crap so Mm -hmm. fast because the machine can't keep up with it. What they make is they make a variety of what we call like hardware encoders where the job of the box is to take a video signal and turn it into something that a computer can handle and the hardware is dedicated to doing that. And there are a bunch of these. There, you know, you can use, like, you can go buy an old DNXIO, which was like three grand. And like that, that will totally work and it will do it and it will plug into your laptop. Blackmagic came out with, and I think smart, so heavy move there, Blackmagic. Blackmagic came out with something called the Blackmagic Web Presenter, which is specifically for this. There's an HD version and a 4K version. Honestly, Like personally, I will probably end up getting the 4K version when I get one because I'll use it for teaching and some of my students might be able to receive the 4K signal if I'm like teaching an Alexa lecture or something. For the most part, you're probably going to be fine with the Blackmagic Web Presenter HD because the internet is really HD. Like you're not, unless you have like dedicated servers and pipes, you're not sticking a 4K signal through it very often. And what's nice about the Blackmagic Web Presenter is it's a very simple interface very simple inputs, and you can use those inputs to, it compresses the signal into a very easily processable H.264 format that's really designed for streaming, that's really designed to work well with all the major streaming platforms. And the web presenter is a particularly fun little unit because it can be plugged into your computer. But let's say you're out in the field, there's no Wi-Fi, but you've got cell service. You can also just plug it into your phone and stream over LTE or 5G on your phone and it works with a variety of systems for doing that. So it's got a little bit more flexibility built in, in that like you could with the web presenter, put yourself in a situation where you don't even need a computer as part of the setup. Like Mm. you guys, if you were working with some like truly non tech savvy people, you could get a phone or a phone like device, like a hotspot type thing. Like they make little things that are just like I receive LTE and I create internet and you could just like strap that to a web presenter, bundle it together and ship it to people and say, all right, you hit this button to turn it on, you plug your comp- your phone in here, and away you go. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to get much better results out of that than you are by wa- having people plug their phone straight into a computer. The other issue you run into with all of this is time duration. 
I was on like a Zoom call recently with someone and we were talking about setting up a live stream and the client was like, oh yeah, I just got my new A7S three and I'm using it to stream right now. And then like literally as they said it, it overheated. Totally. <laughs> I had that off. exact same problem like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So the first off, most of these cameras have the, uh, like by default are set to some pretty high settings and you can usually turn down the settings and that will help with cooling, right? So like if you're only going to stream 1080, you can often go into these cameras and lower their settings to 1080. However, on some of these high resolution cameras, it's still a processor intensive for them to like process that step down to 1080. Like they're taking that, like that 6,000 pixel sensor and they're creating a 1080 file out of it. If you guys are like sending a web presenter and a camera, I think that there are cameras you should look at that are more designed as webcams or more designed for longer duration shooting that are less likely to overheat. Because like the reality is no matter how much we don't want this to be the case, those cameras, the A7S III, the Canon R5, they're stills cameras that also shoot amazing video, but all of the engineering that goes into them goes into making them shoot video. I mean, shoot stills. Right. And they will, they all have overheating issues. And the other thing we always forget is that like, if you go out and you shoot with an A7S III, but you're in like a big room or a big stage or you're outside and there's like wind blowing around, that's one thing. But then a lot of people will set these up in like their bedroom. And they might even like have a little LED light right next to it. And like, there's no wind, there's no circulation. And like, they just get hot much faster there. So I'd look at something like a ZV-1, which is a smaller uh, Sony camera that'll still have some of the benefits of Sony's like autofocus, but should not overheat quite as quickly because it's not as super powered. The real trick is you want something from Sony or Canon because you want that beautiful autofocus. There's like other stuff I wish I could recommend, but the audio, the autofocus isn't quite as good. And Sony and Canon have really cracked that autofocus math. Like I'd love to recommend the Sigma FPL here because it's nothing but a heat sink. So it's never going to overheat. You could run that camera for 10 hours and it's going to be fine. But the autofocus isn't quite amazing enough to do what I think people want it to do. Yeah, we had difficulty recently when um, the camera, I don't even know what camera we used. I just hired another vendor to take care of it. But the cameras that we were using kept auto-focusing away from our speaker and like it was super jittery and distracting. Yep. So I like, could not find the speaker's eye the entire time for like a half an hour. So Yeah, it's infuriating. Well, and the thing is, is it's like if you have a reasonably confident, like I never use autofocus because I... I sort of guesstimate how far I am from the thing. I go, I set a manual focus setting, and then I make sure I sort of stay in the zone. But I'm very like camera savvy. If you're not very camera savvy, that autofocus is killer. And Canon and Sony are really the ones that are like really killing it. So the Sony ZV-1, and I'm sure Canon has a comparable where it's like a really good autofocus, but it's like more designed with streaming, YouTube, vlog in mind. So it's you know, not quite as feature rich, mm -hmm. but ready to stream for a much longer period of time. And cool. I think you'll be, yeah, that's, so those are sort of the big things. Paired with a Blackmagic web presenter. Yep. And that paired with something like the Blackmagic web presenter. Cool. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, that would be the setup. My, my absolute pleasure. I'm always happy to share knowing, knowing all of this stuff. Cool. All right. Well, that's 
That's the No Film School podcast for this week. I'm Charles Hayne. I just launched another podcast that's going to like be a regular. We're going to try and do an episode a month. It's called Distorted by Glamour because all negotiations in film are distorted by glamour. Yes, um, I'm so excited. Yeah, first episode is already up wherever you get podcasts and more episodes are coming. And um, yeah, and then, you know, I'm on the internet and do stuff. I'll see you guys next week. Cool. I'm Kat Stolentino, filmmaker, uh, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at borderwoman.pictures. I'm Todd Blankenship. I'm a writer at No Film School, cinematographer, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at Am I a filmmaker? <laughs>